Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Buffalo Trace is bourbon distilled from trace amounts of buffaloes to give you the best... That can't be right. Here we go. Buffalo Trace was founded when a buffalo, drunk on bourbon, traced out the name of E.H. Taylor Jr. in the dirt. No, that's a lie, too. Bob, stop trying to spice up the history. So, what can we say about them? They make damn fine bourbon? That's good enough for me. So, join us as we tell you the real history of the distillery and have a drink, if we can find it. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hello, hey guys. guys. <laughs> How's everybody been doing? Uh, okay. Surviving. <laughs> um, yeah. We've been dealing with a very fussy baby post-vaccination. We, um, he just he had a vaccination king's cup. Like, you want them all? I said, I want them all. Yeah. So they just put them all in <laughs> no, a big no, syringe. No, no, they asked you. Does he want them all? And you went, he wants them all. Yeah. And he went, why are they stabbing me? Pretty much. Yeah. It was not a fun doctor's visit. <laughs> so now he's all over the place. He's up. He's down. He's he's inside out. I don't know anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing now the... the... <laughs> all I'm hearing is that line from Hotel California. Like, they take their steely knives. And I'm just picturing, like, stabbing the child with <laughs> syringes. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, that took a dark turn. Casey, what have you been up to? <laughs> Not a whole lot. I'm loving it. No. Uh, first day back, first full day back to work after, let me rephrase that, first full week back to work after like two weeks off. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, work. <laughs> I don't look forward to that. I So I'm, I'm still at home next week. After like three months off. Yeah, and then the following Monday I'll be going back to work and I'm just like, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm good. Yep. I'll just stay here. Yep. Yeah, I uh, I have not had that luxury. I've just kept on working. So. Yeah, I know. It's almost better not to have all the time off because then you're just like, I never want to go back. But money? Yeah. <laughs> Income is nice. <laughs> no, there there were some long talks recently at work about <laughs> is getting paid worth dealing with <laughs> yeah. work. So far, yes. Which would be great if it wasn't for all the customers. <laughs> it's yeah. the story of my life. <laughs> uh, I will say, I, uh, I've i begun my New Year's resolution. I'm, I'm already on track. I'm going to try to keep that going. Which was? Take a guess. A drink a day. <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, no, that, that, my doctor advised me not to do that. 
Uh, no, I, I'm getting back to watching, uh, like my schedule has the sched- the stars have aligned again and I can get back into watching Night Cl- Attack Live and watching, watching more, more Diamond Club stuff uh, in general. Yes. The, the thing so. that I've not ever really been able to do because I've always had a terrible work schedule and. Well that, and I can't tell you the last Night Attack episode we watched. Like it's, we, we're so behind on stuff. So such scant free time. Yeah. Uh, understandable. That said. Had a, had a lot of fun, had a few drinks in me. It was it was a good relaxing night. Knowing the next morning, I was like, I can just deal with it in the morning and just sleep it off. <laughs> yeah, that's don't have to go to work. <laughs> but no, it was. Other than that, stuff's been super dull. Uh, other than the escapade of <laughs> me trying to find a drink for style for this episode. Mm. Do you know it's hard to find now, guys? <laughs> Yeah, uh, we, we'll bring that up, but uh, there's pretty much only, what, I would say two two of their products you can find on a shelf, and it's probably because people just don't realize it's their products. Yeah. Like, I saw so much bourbon cream. I mean, that, that's, not the, that's not the worst. Which, I, no, it's not the worst, but I didn't want to sit here and drink just cream the whole episode. You have a great stomach feeling afterwards. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good call on that one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? That just feels like it would end badly. Oh, yeah, that's that's not good. Um, <sighs> well, we get some announcements. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into all of it here. Sorry, I keep looking back. Like, is he? Is he's waking up. Yeah, so he's you go with mad. it. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, you can check out our <laughs> next live episode on. Uh, January 19th, which is going to be covering American Wild Ales. Mm. Wild. Yeah, didn't you know? uh, AB InBev just uh, just brought those. (laughs) Wild Ales, new new category brought to you by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Uh, Also, you can uh, come to Drinktacular Friday, February 22nd through Sunday, February 24th. Uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. Come for brewery tours, brewery hopping, bottle shares, and more. Uh, I don't know how much more. Mostly just hanging out with, with uh, you know, those of us that can make it. Yeah, a lot, a lot uh, of hanging out and a lot of drinking. Like, like that's that'll be the the gist. Don't forget, uh, you can email us to reserve your spots for those said brewery tours. So we can uh, kind of get an idea. We can get them booked and get everything ready. Uh, just go to feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. Yes, and even if you've told us in person, oh, yeah, I'm, g- I'm going to be there, email us. That's that's We're taking that as the solidifying, you know, you're, you're coming. If you've just told me in passing, oh, yeah, I'll be there, that, that that's not going to – I'm not going to remember. Don't trust our dumb human brains. Yeah. We need it in writing, in typing, in whatever. And considering that, you know, they need headcounts for some of these things. Yeah. Also, the store is up. You can go to the website or uh, click the link or go to haveadrinkstore.com. If you want, you can buy the lovely new Delatters shirt, which I've got somewhere over here and can't reach. He's reaching. Nope, not that one. (laughs) Try again. All right, never mind. That gag's not good. Uh, <laughs> uh, or you can try the Have a Drink uh, 
try our have a drink shirt or a have a drink mug. What about the have a drink flamethrower? Not yet. Uh, no. I'm I'm in talks with Elon Musk. <laughs> they are very strange talks. <laughs> uh, it's very it, one direction. <laughs> <laughs> from him, he's talking to me. It's very weird. Uh, but yeah, no, you can head on over to the store uh, if you have any any ideas or a particular product that you want to see that uh, maybe you think would be a good addition. Just let us know. Uh, you can uh, use the feedback email, and we'll still talk to that. Uh, also, I believe we have a movie draft. Yes, we do. Okay. Welcome to your Movie Draft Minute, presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of January 7th, 2019. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Man, I saw some weird stuff downtown last night. Sick, strange, twisted, evil stuff. I bought it all. Let's go to the scoreboard! <laughs> Team Bond Squad's in last place for $301.9 million. Team Movie Party's in fifth place for $384.1 million. Team Game Night's in fourth place with $402.8 million. Team Ritual Misery's in third place with $484.6 million. Team Drunk Hitch Gaming is in second place with $523.7 million. And Ooh. in first place, it's Team Have a Drink with $589.3 million. Watch your movie draft minute. All totals are accurate as of January. 12th, 2019. Nice. Nice. Good lead. So, so us and Drunk Kids Gaming have all of their movies in. Yes. Drunk Kids Gaming is counting on Holmes and Watson <laughs> and Aquaman, which so, has continued to rake in some money. It is, but is it going to, like, that's not going to continue, and Holmes and Watson isn't going to give them what they need considering that movie is the giantest of turds it's 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 a real we're, we have a real tight lead right now like yeah there's reports of people uh getting up and leaving halfway through Holmes and watson i have yet to get up and leave a movie i've thought a couple of times about it real hard mostly in the same movie and it was batman v superman but <laughs> i just didn't even bother going to see that one i think i saw it when it hit net I don't know. I watched I, it somewhere, and I, I literally only watched it for the uh, cyborg teaser that's in it when they're like going through the little footage thing and it's showing his dad with him like strapped to the big board behind him and he's performing the experiments. That's all I wanted to see. I could do a very long talk about my thoughts on that movie, but I'm going to rein that in. And uh, instead, perhaps we should uh, move on and talk about some news. Uh, thanks to Big Voice Jay again, though. Yes, indeed. And give me... National treasure. Okay, so in uh, an interesting turn of events, uh, Bud Light has become the first American beer labeled with nutritional facts. And let me tell you, it looks weird. Yeah, like on the side of the box from that picture. You're just like, it's a mock-up. I mean, that's a yeah, Photoshop still... mock-up. But thinking about... Your beer is going to have that on it, slight, you know, moving forward. So uh, almost any packaged item we consume has ingredients or nutritional label, uh, even bottled water, but not beer until now. Anheuser-Busch InBev announced today Bud Light will be the first American beer sold in a package containing a list of ingredients and serving facts. The new packaging is expected to hit shelves in February. Yeah, it says real big on the mock-up. Water, barley, rice... 
hops at the end because they have to be listed in the order of what's in the largest quantities. Yeah, I always assume there's probably more rice in there than hops. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the hops uh, should be at the bottom of the thing under the actual, like, daily value. Line. Yeah. It's I like mean, dot, 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 hops. From the looks of it, I mean, look, there's no trans fats, no polyunsaturated fats, no monounsaturated fats. Seems healthy. That's why they did it on this one instead of something else. Yeah. So according to a press release, in addition to an ingredients list, water, barley, rice, hops, the label will list serving size calories, uh, which is 110 calories per 12-ounce can, total fat, saturated fat, trans fat, carbohydrates, uh, sugars, and protein. At least they do their serving size in a way that makes sense, not like... uh, Yeah, two servings per can. Or, yeah, I was going to say, like, like Fig Newtons, where it's, like, one Newton. Yeah, that's not, like, you're supposed to break them in half, apparently. No, no, the, what is it, Oreos? It's like, three cookies is a serving size, and you're just like, and you're full of shit. <laughs> the one serving that's... size for Oreos is by sleeve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I bought those, you know those Milano cookies that come in, uh, there's probably, like, ten cookies in a package, and they're, like, four bucks. Yeah, but they're like no, the it's little too expensive thin... for my cookie taste. <laughs> well, they're the ones that have like the little chocolate in the middle, and then those thin cookies on the outside. Everyone's moving to these oval. cookie thins thing. Yeah, Pepperidge Farm does it with a bunch of their cookies, which is just okay. It, they, these are made by Pepperidge Farms. Oh. I don't so, remember. Yeah, those we bought them on Amazon. They were two per pack, and it makes it a whole lot easier when it's packaged as two, and you can pick up a pack and take it with you. As two cookies instead of just opening up the whole bag and pulling out a handful or a, a tray, which is like six or eight cookies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I maintain, tray I maintain they should just give realistic serving sizes on there. One sleeve. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> spokesperson for Anheuser-Busch tells uh, the takeout where he got this. The labels will appear on secondary packaging, so not the bottles or cans themselves of Bud Light. Six packs, 12 packs, and 24 packs. The company is touting this new packaging or package as a victory for increased transparency. But it's also a smart competitive move. Light beers obviously contain fewer calories than other beers, and American light lagers contain marketedly, or mark, yeah, marketedly, marked, I cannot say this. Markedly. Markedly. I was adding an extra bit in there. Fewer calories than many of their craft beer counterparts. That's because light beers have fewer residual sugars and often less alcohol than craft beer, both of which contribute to calorie counts. 12-ounce bottle of Founder's Breakfast Stout. It's a good one. Good one to compare to a Bud Light. Is it? It's like <laughs> it's like apples and dump trucks. <laughs> apples and bushels of apples. For example, uh, contains 270 calories, uh, more than twice that of a Bud Light, and it also contains more than five times the flavor of a Bud Light. Uh, a Sierra Nevada IPA contains 231 calories. If you want to do a rough estimate of your beer's uh, calories, multiply its ABV by 2.5. Then I don't. I was going to say, is that? Well, then That'd multiply be a neat trick if that works. Then multiply that by how many ounces you're drinking. I don't believe in this at all because okay. if I make a beer that has all this sugar in it 
and then stop its its fermentation early or make it so it's not as fermentable and it leaves sugars in, you've got sugars there that aren't accounted. So I can make a 5% beer that could have been a 10% beer, really. It's true. And this math goes nowhere there. Craft beer is so weird. It may be in your, your standard Bob Miller course, things like that. That may work, but not in yeah, not, not in your traditional craft beers. It's kind of strange, so throw that out the window. Uh, the takeout has no idea what they're talking about there. Anheuser-Busch <laughs> InBev is probably betting that some consumers, ones who are already considering light beer, will be pleased to see that 110-calorie number on the label. Anecdotally, uh, I've noticed that drinkers of hard seltzers like White Claw and Truly Spiked often cite its 100-calorie count as a major factor in their decision to buy it. I have seen uh, this kind of taken over, and I always make it a point when I'm at the store at a at a Kroger to go down the aisle, even if I'm not going to buy anything, just to look and see what the shelf looks like. Right in the middle of the craft beer uh, shelving, as now you've seen, that's where the hard and spiked seltzers have hit and started to spread outward so that's if you're wondering where the shelf space is going like where the where it's landing it's landing right in the middle of the craft beer well you knew it was going to land in the middle of like the anheuser bush stuff well no (laughs) of course most craft beer drinkers are under the assumption that their favorite ipa is a health food but large beer companies are betting that there are enough consumers who will be swayed by the lower calorie counts to make it worth listing those on packaging In July 2016, the Beer Institute, a trade group representing big beer companies, like Anheuser Busch, Miller Coors, Heineken, USA, Constellation, Beer Division, and others announced its Voluntary Disclosure Initiative, a commitment to adding a serving, to adding serving facts uh, statement to freshness code dating on all participating breweries, beers by 2020. The Institute's members, who make up 81% of the beer volume sold in the U.S., signed on to participate. Uh, Bud Light may have led the charge on ingredients and nutritional information on beer labels, but it's only a preview of what's to come from some of America's biggest beer brands. Yeah, I mean, the the article is right, though. I was like, I was under no illusion what I was drinking was healthy. Yeah, that, no, no, that's... And I've pointedly looked at Brittany before and been like, oh, no, there's nothing else. Like, all this is like, we are giving ourselves cancer. Like, it is just, there's nothing. Like, this is just killing us. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I will say. Uh, but it's delicious. They are just, dis- they are making a decision in this to try to market to, to hopefully. Well, the article's making it sound like they're, they're marketing to that, that seltzer crowd, the, the, health conscious ish crowd but i i will say like they they're looking at that i know for a fact they're not looking to go like oh can we try to get any well i mean the craft people aren't putting in you know nutritional ingredients on their thing <laughs> yeah they know they're never going to get that market back yeah there's no not one... without not without absolutely crushing everything and then the government coming and going yeah hey <laughs> you know what monopolies are yeah, there's no one that's standing in line for special release beer that's counting counting the calories that are going to be in that beer. No one's no one's going to Dark Lord Day and counting the calories in a bottle of Dark Lord. God, I, I, although I would be curious to see the sodium count in a, in a fresh Dark Lord. <laughs> it's got to be crazy. All that soy sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's a problem I have with 
this story other than what we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. The, the the headline is very buzzwordy. Um, yes. Beer is by the American government or the U.S. government a defined term, and that means that all of those beers that you see walking down the craft beer aisle are beer because they're made with malt, barley, um, barley, uh, malted barley. Um, but all of those seltzers are also considered beers. Hmm. But because they're made with sugar instead of malted barley and all those, they're not a malt beverage. So a brewery can make a, a seltzer underneath their brewer's license. It requires the TTB to approve their formula. It's federally taxed as a beer. For all intents and purposes, it is a beer. But instead of them labeling a beer, they'll label it as a uh, seltzer, and they go through the FDA instead of the TTB for the label, which means that they have to put a calorie count and this all this information on it. So it's a beer. It just, they said, okay, we're not going to label it like a beer. We're going to label it like the FDA wants instead, where it's a, a beer labeled like one of these types of beverages. Mm. So this is voluntary. It's not required if you make a, a traditional beer. It's not required if you get approval for the TTB. They don't require you to put that stuff on the label. The FDA does, and so you can go through either agency that you want as long as you're, you're kind of following what goes into it. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, so Bud Light bit, coming home to roost finally, where it where it belongs. <laughs> outside the of the alcohol for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh by the way, the the mention of the TTV was reminding me, have uh this is off topic, but um uh, there was a with the shutdown, uh they did a story about how the TTV was down on uh that show, What with the Colbert, the late show. I don't know what he does now. Yeah, but the Late Show. They they he did a thing where he talks about craft uh, that that craft beer was in a trouble being able to get to get their stu- you know get new labels and all that. He yeah. was like, think of the beer for, for you know, Mister President, bring this back. And he he does a message with puns from beer labels. Yeah, none of them are craft beer. <laughs> they no. are all Anheuser Busch. AB and Bev products, yeah. Miller Coors or uh, Constellation. Because it's their sponsors. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably because those beer names are the most recognizable. Yes. Um, I don't know. Now, although although he, he butchered Yingling. Yes. Youngling. He called it Youngling. And I went, nope. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So And, and, there, and so Youngling, Yingling and... Uh, Yingling. Perhaps Blue Ribbon. Neither one of those are uh, AB and Bev, but um, pretty much everything else was was big three or big yeah. two at this point. Well, a lot of uh, smaller news outlets covering the story went uh, ran with uh, the poster child for this being the one who called it out on uh, social media being Prairie Artisan Ales because they mm. pointedly started messaging at uh, the POTUS account. About, hey, uh, can we get things back up and going again? Because we can't get new labels uh, okayed until until this thing's over. And given Prairie Artisan Ales, they're, they're wanting to throw some more stouts at you. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. And throw them all day. 
right down my mouth. Yeah, at this point, I've written my, I've written uh, our congressperson, uh, and told him to get his act together and and get these folks gathered around to to stop this shutdown. Hey, good <laughs> luck with that being represented. I know. Uh, representation well, the one that I wrote was the one that was holding it up all together. You know, Turtle Man himself. Ugh, yeah, don't remind me. But. Oh, but he uh, poor. He's not a representative. Poor Turtle yeah, Man can't go out anywhere in Frankfurt or Louisville and get a decent bite to eat without being berated. And all right, again, yeah. not a representative. Well, he represents us. Um, <laughs> He's a senator. He, that represents us. <laughs> yeah, that um, represents us. <laughs> uh, I'm just he, making the distinction he would have made, which would have been, "How dare you compare me to those plebeians in the House?" I know. I'm one of of. Two voted in, not one of six. Um, but yeah, he's the one that's kind of holding everything up, won't let it go to a vote in the Senate, and that's a that's a big issue. Um, yeah. Basically saying, hey, we're not going to take uh, any sort of votes that, that are for show. And I'm like, yeah, it's for show because you don't want to vote against the president, and you don't want all the American people to, that you represent to come in and say, hey, you voted against ha- the end of the shutdown. Which, right. considering, you know, you know what we don't we don't get into this. Yeah, I know. I was like, we're we're already far further into this than we normally get. Yeah, we, we don't do this. Yeah, the people are political. Beer is not. It's a bourbon but, show. Yeah, the, the bourbon bourbon actually has been getting rather political lately. Bourbon so. will get you political once you have enough in them, but uh, we <laughs> haven't got that point yet. Let's. In see. the meantime, um, if you're into craft beer and you are worried about the calorie counts on your uh, your packaging there. Well, start doing some crunches. Uh, why don't you turn around and start drinking some uh, some whiskey? Uh, th- those calorie counts gonna drop. Whiskeys that you might find at the location of our topic. It's like a party in my mouth, and everyone's throwing up. No, 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 that's not it. No. I mean, been on that drunk, cheeky bastards. Been on that drunk. Been on that drunk. I want all of that left in. <laughs> all right. So. Wonderful topic today. That It's it's story time, boys and girls. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a lot of credit to our, our author of our particular story today, Mr. Chris Walker. Don't, don't. You, no, you've not even started. No, he just, this isn't giving credit. This is throwing blame. This is not throwing blame. This so, is appreciating the work you did for us today. So I will give a big shout out because uh, I actually had to go down to Buffalo Trace trying to find. Because if you start trying to research on the internet, you're not going to find uh, dick all for quality sources. There is not a lot just like hanging around on the internet. So I went down there and they have a decent library of books uh, that you can buy there. But I ended up going with uh, my primary source is The Great Crossing, A Historic Journey to Buffalo Trace Distillery. And this starts, like, this book starts with Daniel Boone crossing through the area. And, it like, it goes it goes way far back, too far back. Is Daniel, is Daniel Boone distilling? No, but he crossed through on the Buffalo Trace. Like, he was following, oh, okay, following okay. the, I'm, th- I'm going to start using air quotes when I say the Buffalo Trace crossing through because buffalo are not native to north america that they were bison but the old bison trails he followed them through the area so he actually came right down through the where the property is and he would have come through there and then the buffalo (laughs) climbed the tree (laughs) 
Down a buffalo. Uh, all right. So let's 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 start with our story today. There is a place, a magical place, nestled on the banks of the Kentucky River, just outside Frankfort, Kentucky. This place is home to some of the most renowned bourbon brands that that have ever existed, and boasts legendary figure, figures that seem to have stepped right out of a tall tale, a particularly drunk one. <laughs> We are talking about the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Now, the Buffalo Trace Distillery is one of the oldest continuously operating distilleries in the United States. In fact, only one other distillery uh, has evidence to beat Buffalo Trace, and that is the Guinness Book of World Record holder, Burke's Distillery. Burke's. Never heard of it. Burke's. Currently home to Maker's Mark. Oh. Uh, Founded as Burke's. Right. Both distilleries are listed on the uh, list of National Historic Landmarks, but Burks has Buffalo Trace beat by seven years. 1805 for Burks and 1812 for Buffalo Trace. Look, Buffalo Trace was just feeling more patriotic as the country went to war, and they <laughs> held off until noted Kentuckian Henry Clay got that war started. <laughs> <sighs> Look, there is a can, can lot we get, of... Can we have an episode where we just talk Henry Clay and, and War of 1812? No, there's no drinking involved. I, I would. I don't know, maybe. Well, let's just say... I, <laughs> you, could, on that one. you could do a whole series on E.H. Taylor Jr. alone. Like, halfway through writing this episode, I'm like, I gotta get away from talking just about Taylor. Like, this is getting kind of nuts. Well... In 1811, nearly 2,000 registered distillers were op- were operating in Kentucky, and who knows how many unregistered ones? I'm going to bet minimum double that number. So think about that. How many distilleries are operational in Kentucky right now? Not 2,000. <laughs> right. It's well, like, think about think about a time when uh, the taste, like people's thirst, was demanding 2,000 registered distilleries. You know, Again, I'm also just at, about to say, though, I don't know how many registered ones are still distilling right now. But <laughs> Well, unregistered, yeah. A lot, lot of under staircase and backyard ones. I'm not looking at our taste has changed, although I'm pretty sure we're drinking less whiskey now than them. I'm looking oh, yeah. at transportation's changed. We can we can get it to yeah. a lot more people. I would, yeah, I would we guess that it. your distillery was the place that you went and got your whiskey for like a small community around you. Uh, you kind of made it for yourself. Made it for well, yourself. And if you had some extra, you'd sell it. So there you go. You know, people back then used to have big cider, you know, Pressons. barrels that they would just keep out. Like, all right, end of the day, just scoop in a little <laughs> bit of cider. So one assumes they eventually, like, yeah, let's get some whiskey there too. Uh, actually, we had some in the Prohibition episode, like the sheer number of volume drunk yeah. was mm. real high. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, let's see. They produced uh, 2.2 million gallons of whiskey a year. Mm. Not total, a year. <laughs> uh, because whiskey was so common from, uh, from the time... Uh, of earliest settlement, the origins of whiskey uh, making in Kentucky are shrouded in myth. Records are sparse and incomplete. Records indicate that uh, distilling started on the site that is now Buffalo Trace in 1775 by Hancock Lee and his brother Willis Lee. 
We don't know what Willis was talking about that day, but he died in 1776. Must have been talking so. some smack because he only made it another year. Might have been. Might have been talking that good smack. <laughs> uh, local tradition holds that Harrison Blanton, founder of the construction materials business, which supplied the Kentucky marble to build the old state capital and one of the la- largest landowners in the area, set up a small distillery at the side of Buffalo Trace uh, sometime in the early 1800s. Just a bunch of people just keep going to that spot. Okay, we're gonna make whiskey here. A lot we're of the just sp- build it on the few, on the burial grounds of the previous whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what was happening. But there were also I was leaving it out. Uh, warehouses. Whiskey geist. Well, no, there were, people were shipping things again from Daniel Boone's time through. Yeah. This particular is a landing on the river. It comes to a nice shallow point, and there's a nice sandy beach. And there were storehouses that had been erected by the community, so people were already storing goods to be shipped on flatboats down to New Orleans. Okay. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, you could go one way or the other of how Bourbon Street got its name. But... Yeah. Well, if, uh, if Blanton produced a surplus beyond his family's needs, he very likely availed himself of the river by means of uh, marketing his whiskey. Blanton had already uh, running the means of storing his barreled whiskey prior to shipping, uh, prior to shipment with the Frankfurt River, River warehouses, only about a mile or so away. Uh, in 1858, a small but up-to-date distillery was developed for the site by Daniel Swigert. Day Lewis. <laughs> Swigert. I don't, I'm not Swigert. sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, using the Riverside warehouses already on the site. It bears to mention that the Riverside warehouses were erected for general goods by the Taylor and Lee families. All of the names starting to ring any bells yet? Well, let's see if we can uh, jog those memories and connect a few dots by talking about one of the biggest names in bourbon, Colonel. Wait, no, no. This needs to be like a basketball introduction. Colonel Edmund Hayes Taylor Jr. Good enough? I like it. Uh, Edmund was born in Columbia, Kentucky uh, in 1832 to John and Rebecca Taylor. He was orphaned at an early age, uh, first going to live with his great uncle Zachary in Baton Rouge. Hmm. Is that Zachary Zachary Taylor? That name. Didn't he die from uh, strawberries and cream? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he did. That's the most famous thing he's known for, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Is he allergic to strawberries? I mean, apparently being president gives you some kind of weakness to strawberries and cream. Or Henry Clay kills you. That's, oh. that's, proven not to be, that's been proven to not be true, but at least not by cyanide. Where's the uh, strawberries coming in then? He ate strawberries and cream, got indigestion, and died. Yeah. Oh, So he killed okay. Zachary Taylor. Uh uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana is where he was at, uh, where we mentioned the future president commanded the Southwest Department of the U.S. Army. Uh, well-educated for the day, young Edmund was sent to Boyer's French School in New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans? Uh, sorry. New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, the French version of it kind of snuck into my, my speech there for a minute. I apologize. You can't do that. You're talking Kentucky and New Orleans. Like, you've got yeah, to, like, I know. Yeah, we really screw up French-sounding things here. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, he was sent to this school before coming to Frankfurt, where he was adopted and raised by his uncle, E.H. Taylor Sr. That's for who he was named as well. Well, one of Frankfurt's most prominent community leaders. Uh, to keep from being confused with his uncle, uh, the younger Edmund Taylor uh, added Junior to his name. Although I just hear Edmund, and I just want to go, on the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> Oh. Anyway, it was through his uncle that he met uh, and learned how to distill from none other than Dr. James Crow, uh, the medicine graduate from uh, the University of Edinburgh. 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 Uh, who immigrated to Woodford County, Kentucky in the 1820s. Man, that's a lot of, a lot of very familiar sounding names as Damn. we go through all this stuff. Dr. James Crow. Woodford County. Hmm. I wonder why. Anyway, having an interest in chemistry, he brought scientific measure and method to the fermentation process. He also advocated the aging of whiskey to improve its quality and was among the first to age it purposely in charred oak barrels uh, and a practice to, uh, to practice the sour mash process of aging whiskey making. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, Edmund also apprenticed under Oscar Pepper, who established the Oscar Pepper Distillery in Woodford County. Yes. <laughs> Was he a sergeant? <laughs> uh, well, this distillery, while not continuously operating, would go on to become Woodford Reserve. Seeing the opportunity for uh, in uh, banking E.H. Jr. Uh, to the Branch Bank of Kentucky at Frankfurt, uh, headed by his uncle. Although E.H. Taylor Jr. had a knack for handling money, the banking was only a prelude to his entry into the distilling industry. Yeah, I mean, once you're good at handling money. But, uh, uh, just, you better make some. Yeah, you say a little foresight there. He wasn't really the best with money. <laughs> uh, As uh, his vision always exceeded his funds. Having personally known many of the early whiskey makers, he was soon drawn to distilling and informed himself about all aspects of the industry. In the early 1860s, he gave up banking and helped form the firm of Gainsbury and Company Distillers. Like, there's a lot of this happening where the no, like these known names will get with a bunch of their friends and start companies which officially start these distilleries. And I started just dropping all of the weird companies like this that came in. Because you would have no idea what I'm talking about. Whereas if you just start saying the names of these distilleries, everyone knows what you're talking about. Uh, I hear Barry, by the way, and all I can think of. Yeah, Chuck. Chuck, it's your cousin. Marvin. Marvin, Marvin Barry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just assuming it's from that same line of the family. Kind of, yeah. Well, we'll go with that. <laughs> But uh, the Gainsbury and Company Distillers uh, had formed by then, and this was the company that was headed by E.H. Uh, e. Taylor Jr. After the death of Oscar Pepper in 1868, the firm became associated with James Pepper and became successors to the Crow and Pepper names as respected brands. Uh, Taylor, along with his partners, leased the Old Pepper Distillery and began making whiskey in response to the greater demand following the Civil War. Got to clean out those wounds somehow, and whiskey was a lot cleaner than anything they had. So it bears to mention, uh, yes, Taylor did, uh, in a way, participate in the Civil War uh, in distilling. He was making alcohols for uh, cleaning out wounds and of the such, 
but he uh, he did officially work for the Union while most of the rest of his family worked for the Confederacy. I'm literally picturing a, a Civil War battlefield surgeon's hospital and them just like pulling a cork out of a whiskey bottle, with pouring it onto a leg. Yeah, with their teeth. Pouring it onto a leg and then just sawing that leg right off. Well, that's that's what was happening, but Taylor was nowhere near that. You got to remember, he's kind of the aristocracy of the time and right in the area, so he would have been in a fine white suit and smoking a cigar or something. I I, say, I, say, I do declare. I say that, boy. <laughs> so uh, uh, the, the Taylor family had deep ties to the land that Buffalo Trace sits on today. The first substantial building in the area of which uh, there's a record, is a stone house built by Commodore Richard Taylor. I believe that's... Really? Rich I'm, Taylor? <laughs> I believe that uh, he's... Um, great How much gr- confetti was there? Not that much. Uh, I think he's the great-grandfather of Edmund. Uh, though somewhat altered in appearance, it still stands on the grounds of Buffalo Trace Distillery today. Um, it's to the west of the distillery clubhouse, while the date of its construction is uncertain, it's somewhere between 1785 and 1792, it is perhaps the oldest surviving structure in Franklin County. In 1870, Colonel E.H. Taylor Jr. purchased the land, ex- uh, the exis- existing distillery, which was built by uh, Swigert, and uh, and the warehouses, which were the old Frankfurt uh, community warehouses that, are on, that were on the property, purchased those as well and christened it all. The OFC, Old Fire Copper Distillery. I like to imagine they christened it like you do ships. <laughs> Except instead of uh, champagne, it's bourbon. Yeah. A bottle of whiskey. No, exactly. You just like... <laughs> but you do it into into a bucket that's got a fine grain uh, mesh top to it that filters out the glass, collects oh, yeah. the whiskey, so you can then drink it. Because why would you waste it? <laughs> Well, here comes uh, some of Taylor's use of of money. Taylor spends $70,000, a small fortune at the time, upgrading and expanding the distillery. The facility... It's kind of a small fortune now. Yeah, the facility was state-of-the-art with fermentation rooms, or fermenting rooms built of whitewashed limestone containing the best distilling equipment that money could buy. The OFC distillery advertised that it was the only distillery where the product is in contact with copper alone from the time the grain is ground until the finished whiskey is barreled in the splendid oak packages made at the company's cooper shops from selected and seasoned timber. That was the official sales pitch from OFC. Real quick, do we want to see how much money that would have been? How much? Uh... 1863, uh, the same amount of money would be, all right, hold on, i got to get my commas in here right, One, $1,416,116.88. Putting into a distillery, yeah, that's a, that's a bit, of, bit of money. So this dedication to copper became a Taylor trademark. You can visit the remains of this distillery today at Buffalo Trace as part of the E.H. Taylor Jr. Tour. Uh, in October of 2016, while shoring up the old clubhouse for renovation into a reception hall and event space, the foundations of the 1873 OFC distillery were discovered. They had been uh, 
They had uncovered brick pillars and remnants of walls. Even more exciting, they found what they thought might have been a cistern. Further digging peeled back more of the first floor to reveal a row of brick structures. Early on, the distillery uh, called in Louisville historian Carolyn Brooks and bourbon archaeologist, which had How I known... How did get that job, Chris? I did, I've got an interest in bourbon, and I'm, I used to be an archaeologist, so how to... You've got a degree. <laughs> I am I think it still makes you an archaeologist. <laughs> uh, they called in Nicholas Larenconte <laughs> to tell them exactly what they had. Amazingly, the brick structures turned out to be virtually intact 11,000-gallon fermenting tanks. Oh... Oh, sorry, I got very excited. Yeah, it's it really is cool to see. Uh, they call it, they advertise it as uh, the Bourbon Pompeii because that's kind of how they set it up. Like they they came in, it had to be excavated uh, professionally by archaeologists, and once they got it all excavated, they have catwalks now built up above all of it, so you can walk over and look at it. But it was all frozen in time, and uh, they believe it is this way because. Uh, I think it was in it was in 1882. There was a fire. Uh, we'll, mm. we'll we'll get to that, but there was a fire that burned down the distillery, and they rebuilt so quickly that they incorporated a lot of the existing foundations in. But everything that they didn't just got covered up, like it was never really exposed to the elements. So this well, stuff there was just also got covered, and they moved over it real quickly, so it was not disturbed. There was also the explosion of the carbonite that was down there. <laughs> Flash freezing everything in frost in in the area nearby. There's one guy just like frozen, hands outstretched, mouth open, like ah. <laughs> His last words, I believe, were "I know." I know. <laughs> While Taylor would remain part of OFC Distillery for years to come, he would only own it for eight years, selling it to George T. Stagg in 1878. Uh, refitting the distillery had used up much of his financial resources. Taylor's strengths lay in renovation and operation, and sometimes his desire for creating the best exceeded his means. Taylor had also built a distillery nearby to revive the Old Crow brand. It wasn't called Old Crow, Old Crow at the time. It was just Crow. Named. It was still relatively new then. <laughs> new Crow. New Crow. New Crow. Put Old Crow right out of business. <laughs> this distillery, known as the Old Taylor Distillery, resembled a Gothic castle situated in a creek bottom. The complex contained pools and gardens that gave it an air of never-never land. Inside, it contained the most up-to-date distilling equipment. Sounds a little similar. Uh, capable <laughs> of producing a sanitary product in a partially antiseptic environment. Uh, the, the, by well, There's a lot of history involved with that distillery, but we're not talking about that distillery. But uh, just to sum that one up, in 19, by 1972, uh, the historic Castle Distillery structure had been completely abandoned. It was overgrown with weeds, and no one had anything to do with it anymore. And it remained abandoned and still standing in deteriorating condition for more than 40 years. Some of the material from uh, the barrel house was reclaimed for construction purposes. And also, I forgot to add it at the end of this, but Sazerac, uh, back in the mid 90s, I think, uh, bought the rights to all brands from it and bought any uh, any products still in the warehouses, of which there was a surprising amount of barrels still sitting in warehouses. I don't okay. doubt that. Uh, it is now distilling again with the name Castle and Key, 
and the first ah, bourbon expression. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, and the yeah. first bourbon expression uh, is being highly anticipated. Hmm. And we had that nice news story, uh, was it last week or the week before, about how they came across a bottle of the old Taylor branded. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they were trying to. And they're to... trying to recreate it. It all comes together. <laughs> I'm telling you, you could do a seven degrees of separation, only it's not Kevin Bacon. It's E.H. Taylor e. Jr. E.H. Taylor Jr. So old, old bourbon apple seed, we used to call it. <laughs> Everywhere he went, distilleries shot up. Uh, George Stagg was no stranger to Old Taylor and OFC Distillery, having been hired to market and distribute the product from OFC. Stagg came to the rescue of Taylor, paying off his creditors and consolidating many of his debts. Uh, In full control of the distillery by the late 1870s, George Stagg launched his ambitious plans for expansion. This marked the beginning uh, of the enlargement of the distillery property. Stag, knowing the association with quality product and the Taylor name, he decided to keep Colonel E.H. Taylor Jr. on to run the day-to-day operations at OFC. Though the relationship among parties was sometimes uneasy, the company prospered, declaring its first dividend in August of 1881 in the amount of $273,843.34. It's, uh... They... Uh, yeah. The, when I say uneasy, so uh, in The Great Crossing, if you do decide to grab it and read through it, there's a lot in there about how eventually Taylor and Stagg uh, came not to see eye to eye and did not uh, really care to speak with one, one another ever again. Well, like there were lawsuits filed and things got really, really bad between them. And. Um, I really wish that we could have gone on more and more about Taylor in this uh, because he went on and became one of the biggest defenders of uh, of quality control in bourbon, and he was one of the biggest proponents of bottled and bond. Like he went, he was like the champion going forth mm-hmm. about bottled and bond. Uh, I think he testified in front of Congress and all this stuff about how it needed to be a thing because too much swill was out there ruining the name <laughs> of whiskey. Right. Okay, so um, <clears throat> 1882, wow. 1882 saw a disaster with a lightning strike burning the OFC distillery in a great fire. Oh, I see. I was going to make a white lightning joke, but then you said the yeah. distillery caught fire. Now I'm sad. Then it just gets sad. It was a total loss. So, yeah. Uh, the distillery is rebuilt immediately in yet an even grander manner at a cost of $44,000 over and above the insurance collected. The newly built distillery included a large mashing and fermenting wing, which remains intact today at the Dickel building. In 1886, steam heating system for the warehouses uh, installed, making this the first distillery to use steam heat, which is still in use today. Hmm. That's the the same system. Yeah. The one they installed then is still, that's the one that they're still cranking out with today. That's crazy. Nice. Um, If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Oh. Keep, if it ain't broke, keep distilling. In 1897, Albert B. Blanton joins the company at age 16 as an office boy. Within a year, the industrious young man had been promoted to a clerical job. A quick study, he took a four-month course to improve his skills in typing and shorthand. By choice, he asked to work in each department, eventually over the next few years performing nearly every job at the distillery. 
That's smart. Uh, before he was 20, he was appointed superintendent of the distillery, its warehouses, and the bottling shop. The bottling shop was something most other distilleries of the time didn't have. Hmm. Uh, most sold their product by the barrel. In 1904, the name of the distillery is officially changed to the George T. Stagg Distillery. Blanton was elected to the, to the executive board of Stagg Distillery in 1909. He became plant manager in 1912. He was made president of the George T. Stagg Company in 1921. And in 1929, he negotiated the contract under which Shenley Products Company of New York purchased the distillery and kept it open during the Prohibition years within the production of medicinal whiskey, oh, yeah. uh, the only Kentucky, Kentucky company to do so. Under his leadership, the distillery survived during those dark, dry years into the period of recovery under the ownership of Shenley Distillers. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, under the direction of Blanton, the distillery underwent significant advances, giving it much of the appearance it has today. He built a landmark stone residence on Stony Point above the distillery grounds. The house now serves as administrative offices that you can tour as part of the Haunted History Tour. We've done that. That was awesome. I very much Ooh. recommend that. Yeah. yeah they, uh, so he had, uh, they don't talk about it in this, but on the tour they talk about he had two daughters that died. Yeah, I think uh, so. Died on the grounds and in the house, and a lot of people report being able to see and hear uh, the spirits of the his kid, daughters. Kids laughing and whatnot, which is always the creepiest thing in the world. And, well, play, and kind yeah. of playing peekaboo on the steps. Like, if you sit in the parlor, you can see up the steps at an angle, and they, like, the, the they were telling us how sometimes we'll see people keep looking to the over to the steps and they're like, they're like, are you seeing something? And they're like, I keep seeing a little girl stick her head out from around the corner at the top of the steps. And they're like, oh, no, that that was Blanton's daughter. Yeah. What, regardless of your feelings on the haunted stuff, it's a it's a fun tour to do. Like, it's just it's neat. It's a it's at night and it's it's cool to to um, tour around the facility at night. Like, it's just it's a nice setup they have. I, I like Brittany made that segue before I could cough bullshit into yeah. the microphone. This is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you can watch. They had uh, they had ghost hunters there to do yeah. to do an episode, and they used to sell copies. before that show got crazy. Yeah, they used to sell copies of that episode in the gift shop, and they don't anymore. But it's still it's a good way to get into areas of the distillery that aren't open to the general public. Mm, yeah, yeah. historical sections. Yeah, yeah. and it, it just it, it's just a nice <laughs> feel of the, the and, tour. It's fine. and part of it they take you into um, it's I think it's warehouse H. It's one of the oldest standing warehouses. It still has the OFC stamped in, into the warehouse. They take you out into the middle of it, and then sh- it's the one where they had to, it had collapsed before and killed. There you go, yeah. The, the H also stands where, for haunted. Also <laughs> yeah. where the uh, Blantons comes yeah, from. where he liked the to Blantons. handpick his. Uh, so Freddie, as many people know, uh, one of the legendary tour guides there, because he has a deep family history uh, with the company and it was his grandfather died there in the in the warehouse collapse i believe and they say like freddie claims he has encountered the spirit of his grandfather there but uh they still they'll take you in the middle of the warehouse and shut all the lights off and everyone sits there for like five or ten minutes quietly it, it's it's just pe- peaceful to sit there and <laughs> breathe in the alcohol and you couldn't farts. let you yeah. yeah i was gonna say all all I would be doing during those ten minutes, the lights out, just going. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. 
still nice to get in there. You get deep into the rick houses. So. And, it, and it's very, like, cool in there, which, like, it's a nice thing to do in one of the summer tours. <laughs> yeah. We were there in, like, so July. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a rick house. No. It's mighty, mighty. Please don't let it all fall down. <laughs> and on, uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> In 1937, the distillery was flooded, and within 24 hours of water receding, Blanton and his employees had the Stag Distillery back in full operation. And that's not I to say... I love that every time disaster strikes, they He's go, like, no, we turn this around now. Don't you yeah. picture him with a cape? <laughs> Blanton was kind of no-nonsense, and so when they say, oh, it was flooded, and you're like, oh, within 24 hours, that means they, they came in and they just sanitized the equipment because it wasn't that much water. The water was 17 feet up the sides <laughs> of the storage houses, if that tells you how deep it was. They're distilling in boats. <laughs> yeah. Liquor is lighter than water. <laughs> uh, bearing the honorific title of Colonel, just as Taylor had before him, um, Kentucky Colonel, that is, Albert yeah, Blanton. Can, anyone, yeah, anyone can be a Kentucky Colonel. That's right, right. Uh, Albert Blanton had the terraced gardens and flower beds put in place at the heart of the distillery, creating a kind of park, which is now adjacent to the clubhouse. The Elmer T. Lee Clubhouse now serves as a meeting hall and reception area. Wait, uh, is that the, the place what, yeah, where... that's where we got okay. married. We got married in yeah. these gardens. And that's actually where a friend of ours got married as well. And our reception <laughs> was at the Elmer T. Lee Clubhouse. Yes. Yeah, that's when I say, like, I was pretty sure that was where the, the clubhouse... I couldn't remember the name of it, so I was like... I think that's yeah, it. it's pretty the gorgeous. Clubhouse. Oh. <laughs> the clubhouse. Um, this beautiful park-like area at the center of the distillery commemorates Lee's Town as it was the setting for a Sylvan, uh, yeah, Sylvan Spring at which herds of quote buffalo. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting the quotes in there. An area of great natural <laughs> beauty. Uh, following in the tradition of Oscar Pepper and E. H. Taylor Jr., Albert Blanton was a bourbon aristocrat. Also, a job title I want. Yeah, really. Uh, a master who took as much pride in the environment in which he, whiskey was made as he did in the final product. I, I like that, that mentality. Um, by 1933, when the 21st Amendment repealed Prohibition, the George T. Stagg Distillery was one of six surviving operational distilleries in Kentucky. Recognized as one of the preeminent producers of straight whiskey, in 1939, the distillery entered a golden era in when ancient age four years of age and 90 proof was introduced to the market during the war uh, during the war years the distillery joined a nationwide movement to support the war effort by the fall of 1942 production of whiskey was halted by the war production board which prescribed that the nation's distilleries convert to produce straight alcohol for the war effort this distillery was allowed to produce every other month uh, cool. Ancient Age, a New York company, owned the distillery until September 30th, 1992. Wow, that's a, so that's, that's recent. <laughs> so this is that weird thing. Uh, I, occasionally I decided to mention the names of these companies, but it's still, when I, whenever I tried to put it out from a, a New York company, it's still when these like stock companies just kept changing the name of the company that owned mm. the distillery to whatever the hot thing was. So they released Ancient Age, and it was a massive success and a big hit. So they changed the name of the controlling company to Ancient Age. Oh, okay. So people knew exactly what they were linked to. Well, that makes more sense. See, so, when you say stock company, all I can think of is like, oh, yes, yes, no, the Virginia, 
Virginia Stockup. Yeah, that's it, it gets really confusing, and I hated that part of the book when they would get into that. It confused the – it gets really confusing when you were talking about uh, – so if we go back to um, Taylor, what was happening with they, – they started talking about the sites where the distilleries were to refer to the distilleries instead of referring to them by the name because names were changing so quickly, and then they were coming together and forming ownership companies, of which Taylor was a part of, like, five, and his name was a part of, like, three of them. And so you didn't know what the hell they were talking about. What you're saying is it was a mob brand company, and they just had to hide it underneath <laughs> a bunch of shells. Pretty much, yeah. E.H. Taylor had people killed. Probably. Probably. <laughs> we don't actually. even know. Um, so, again, until the until 1992, uh, a subsidiary of the Sazerac Company of New Orleans purchased Ancient Age. Uh, Which no, I'm sorry. They, they purchased the distillery. Well, it's bringing it full circle. Yeah. Full circle here. <laughs> uh, the name was changed to Buffalo Trace Distillery in June 1999. Holy crap, that was way more recent than I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, immediately, its new owners undertook... Uh, major renovations and beautification as a matter of company pride as well as uh, a means to promote Buffalo Trace its new flagship bourbon which that just kind of continues the name the, <laughs> the name and the beer and the, just okay, um, whatever your whatever your best selling thing is just, we're calling just it, it that yeah in 2005 Harlan Wheatley became master distiller at the Buffalo Trace distillery today it's estimated that the production capacity for the distillery is at about 2,650,000 U.S. gallons of whiskey per year. Is it just me, or is it kind of funny that Wheatley is the name, last name of the person who is distilling for a company that's main product that really gets some notoriety <laughs> are weeded whiskeys? Yeah. 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 No, it's it's pretty fantastic. And the, they're, well, I do kind of like, he he led them to make the, uh, as Casey's getting ready to talk about, their uh, non, one of their few non-whiskey products and named it after himself, their vodka. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I've yet to try it because it's a weeded vodka. Uh, you know, I don't know the guy, but, you know, sure sounds like he may be full of himself. I got him to sign a bottle. I'm going to name a new product after me. <laughs> um, so... Buffalo Trace has quite a few different brands that come underneath their name. Um, now, they do have the namesake of the whole distillery, Buffalo Trace. And so underneath that name, they actually have multiple brands. So they have their straight bourbon, just their traditional straight bourbon. Um, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about what percentage that is here in a little bit. They've got their experimental collection, which is a, a short list of basic different um blends and different ages and different things that they'll sell mostly in the gift shop or in small packages just to try to get some new ways of, of kind of making uh, new whiskeys. They're usually sold in like, I think it's pint sized containers. Yeah. They're kind of small with the exception of the bourbon cream. Yeah. Uh, they have a single Oak project that is, um, I believe they, they pick out certain, um, certain types of wood and and basically age in them. And then they have a white dog, which is the Buffalo Trace mash bill. Everything's done the same except instead of putting it into a barrel, they just let it go and sell it as is. And that's sold in pint containers as well because that's all you're going to want to drink. You won't even want to drink that. Uh, you, you just go down there, go for a tour, and you can get your free shot of it. And you'll 
you'll just go, oh. Huh. Yeah, that's it's, enough. The only reason you buy it is to take it home and give it to your friends the same way. Um, if they had it like foolproof, that would be nice uh, instead of watered down. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like I saw I saw some. I was like, uh, uh no. <laughs> yeah. They also uh, have a bourbon cream, which is a cream liqueur. Oh, I think it's a relatively new product that came, they came out with. They've had it a few years. They've had it. Since at least Chris and Brittany were engaged, uh, and I say relatively new, I'm I'm saying like in the last ten years, I think. Yeah. I, it's just when I first discovered it was was then when we were were yeah. citing out the property. It's good, and I'm pretty sure that's around when they came up with it. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, I think it was pretty new then, and we all stopped and went. Well, there's another there's another liqueur we like. We were like, <laughs> oh well, uh, don't have to drink Bailey's anymore because this just kicks the ever living hell out of it. It's so good that competing uh, distilleries will promote the Buffalo Trace bourbon cream. You can go down to yeah. Woodford Reserve, and we did their their whole tour and everything. At the end of it, they're like, Buffalo Trace is like a half hour up the road. Get up there and get some bourbon cream. Like, it's delicious. Yeah. Shouldn't you be promoting your... No! It's garbage! <laughs> Since uh, Buffalo Trace is not on the bourbon trail then it's kind of one of those things that you got to be pointed that direction because the marketing materials don't normally send you there. All right, so next up is the E.H. Taylor. Uh, let's let's call it the E.H. Taylor Jr. Collection because yeah. um, there's a lot of them. There's a single barrel. There's a barrel proof, a uh, straight rye, an old-fashioned sour mash style, which is you know just your traditional bourbon, basically. Um, the... Cured oak, a seasoned wood, and a four grain. The four grain being the the big, um, kind of the big hit. Now, mm, I was going to say because that that uh, uh, what one was it? It's a couple back. The the whatever barrel, the not seasoned, but the cured oak. Cured oak. Yeah, I was like, that sounds yeah. interesting. I'd like to try that. Now, let me say this also. Everything that I'm mentioning, except for the barrel proof, is bottled in bond. So yeah. everything's going to be bottled in bond uh, of the E.H. Taylor brand. Now, there's one that is pretty cool. Um, it's Warehouse C's Tornado Surviving Bottles. So in 2006, a storm came through and actually uh, damaged Buffalo Trace Distillery and their aging warehouses. Warehouse C was uh, was damaged. It's a sustained significant damage to its roof and the, the northern brick wall um, and actually e- exposed a group of the aging bourbon barrels to the elements. So that uh, summer, they put those barrels on the roof while the walls were being repaired. And <laughs> so they were just basically obliterated by the sun um, and rain and wind and whatever. So it, it actually was a... The wind and rain had done its work and this is what it bore. Uh, it, it was basically an extreme um, version. So there was these huge, huge kind of swings. So they actually took those barrels and bottled them. And there's the oh. tornado bottles. Oh, my gosh. I wish. I got, how much do those go for? So I know that Justin's House of Bourbon in Lexington has bought quite a few of them. I always uh, forget that I have a House of Bourbon. <laughs> uh, let me see. Taylor. To be fair, if I had a House of Bourbon. I would often forget where it is. Taylor. <laughs> I'd be a little drunk. All right. So if you bought it just as is, they're saying it's a $80. I know that that is 
retail, it was eighty bucks. Um, I'm thinking they're going three to four hundred right now. I would love to try that secondary market. Um, so you have the E.H. Taylor collection. Now you also have a Eagle Rare, which the base, the the baby Eagle Rare, is a straight bourbon that's about ten years old, but the uh, Buffalo Trace has this antique collection where they put together a bunch of different um, products in extra aged versions. And so in the antique collection alone, you're going to see um, George T. Stagg, W.L. Weller um, as an antique version, Eagle Rare, Sazerac, and Thomas H. Handy Sazerac. Yeah, so it's very the, handy. The Eagle Rare goes from a 10-year-old bourbon to a 17-year-old bourbon. The Sazerac Ooh. rye goes from, I think it's like a four to, or a six-year-old rye up to an 18-year-old version. Oh. Yeah. Um, the, the Handy, TH Handy um, Sazerac is a specialized version, um, kind of a, a specific version of their rye whiskey. Sir, I'm not going to stop laughing every time I hear Handy, by the way. <laughs> Basically a barrel proof. Um, when you look at the W.L. Weller uh, or William LaRue Weller, so they actually spell it out on this one. That one is going to be a barrel proof version of their Wellet. Uh, sorry, of their Weller. And uh, that's a weeded bourbon. We'll talk about that here in just a second. And then the George T. Stag is, is again, barrel proof. So these are all sort of the heavy, big barrel proof versions of all the um, all the bourbons that they make. Now, George T. Stagg is uh, named after the prior name of the distillery. So that's no, no, no. I, that I know, I know what he does. He created Metamorpho. Is that right? DC Comics. No, that's Simon Stagg. Sorry. Um. So if you were to take that that daddy stag if you will you also have stag jr which is a very similar blend of of the same stuff um uncut unfiltered and aged for nearly a decade both yeah take a take a stag jr uh, add bacon with a large order of fries <laughs> indeed uh, big huge bourbon at uh, i think most recently it's coming at 67.2 percent alcohol um won gold medal last year at uh the the Los Angeles International Spirits Competition and well, New York done. International Spirits Competition. But uh, if you find that one on shelves, grab it. Uh, there's also McAfee's Benchmark. I don't know if it's McAfee's or, or McAfee's. Uh, I was going to say, how, how, how much? I think it's probably McAfee instead of McAfee. I you're don't not going to really read into this. You're not going to read into the the McAfee's as much as you'll see the benchmark on the label. It's a black label. looks a lot like a Jack Daniels bottle, to be perfectly honest. Um, except on Jack Daniels, I think it says old number seven. And on benchmark, it says old number eight. <laughs> uh, How did but, they not get slapped with a lawsuit? <laughs> no clue. Um, I think they put the eight on there to fool you into thinking it's an eight-year-old bourbon. They just mm. I, I feel like you should have to have a reason to put a number on a bottle before you put a number on a bottle. Um, it won gold the, medals again in New York and Los Angeles in 2018. That's one of the few you can still find on shelves from yeah. currently produced at Buffalo Trace, like Ancient Age and Benchmark are like the only it, two you can just about find anywhere. And that's probably not going to be yeah. the case for Benchmark anymore. <laughs> nope. Um, 
<laughs> uh, Benchmark tends to be one of those bourbons that's on the bottom shelf yeah. uh, most of the times uh, that you find it. So now OFC is the uh, coming Down from with- the uh, OFC Distillery, as it was named in night. Er, sorry, eighteen seventy. Um, oh, the OFC. The oh, yeah, you know me. So it was an E.H. Taylor Jr. Uh, product or a distillery back then. So they actually take this and it's vintage to buy the year. So they will take the the year that it comes out and um, they'll they'll say, okay, this was made in 1980. I think it's one of the more recent uh, vintages that is here. It's in a hand cut crystal bottle. I'm wondering. Let me see if I can find a, a price tag on this one because this one's not going to be cheap. Um. Yeah. In 2018, they released a 93, 25-year-old bourbon, uh, 25-year-old bottle. So, Jeez. it ain't cheap. Um, let me see if I can find one for sale. Nope, I can't even find one for sale right now. Oh wait. Um, twenty five hundred bucks. Mm. So, not a cheap bourbon. Oh. And that was sold. Yeah, that was sold at the Virginia ABC store. That's retail. That's not even secondary. Oh, God. Jesus. Yep. Right in the nuts. So, there you go. It is a nice-looking bottle. I mean... I mean, the, the packaging is nice. Nice um, big wooden case. And... Yeah. Uh, and every vintage changes in recipe and flavor and everything. It's just sort of like, okay, this is the best of the best at that point. From OFC, you get into Old Charter and Old Taylor, two of the bourbons that um, have kind of picked up those old names. Um, the Charter uh, is Old Charter Oak, actually aged on um, one of them is just the traditional Old Charter 80 proof whiskey. The other one, actually, you can get it aged for 10 years in oak barrels made of trees harvested in East Asia. Mongolian so they actually oak. call it Mongolian oak. Yeah, I would <laughs> like to try that. Uh, noses of pecan, caramel, and pine. Sit right through and conquer every every other kind of oak that it finds. No. I'm on board with that one. Um, and then, of course, we talked a little bit about the the E.H. Taylor, so um, the the old Taylor, another one of those. Uh, Sazerac. So Sazzy, they have two different Sazzies. We talked a little bit about the the well, three different really. They have Sazzies, Sazzies sound like a sound like, Sazzies sound like a, a award ceremony. The Sazzies. <laughs> we we talked about um, the two that were in the sort of antique collection. There's also what they call baby Saz. Um, it's the Sazerac rye that has won a silver medal at New York and a North American bourbon whiskey competition. It is named after, of course, the Sazerac cocktail, which was based off of rye after it was based off of brandy and brandy became kind of scarce. So um, it's a really good, actually really good um, rye. Also, very hard to find. Every um, one of these is very hard to find, with the exception of Ancient Age and Benchmark. Yeah. And they didn't used to be. That's the problem. I um, can remember when in college, like not that long ago, when I was able to just see Blanton sitting on a shelf. 
multiple yeah. bottles of it just staring at me and i'm like i'm not spending 70 dollars on a bottle of bourbon and now i'm looking back going damn it you should have gone into debt and bought every one of those bottles <laughs> <laughs> um let's talk about wheatley so wheatley is a vodka that they produce um they don't so they've got not only Wheatley, but they've got a couple other vodkas out there that I didn't even know were made by Buffalo Trace. Um, oh, I didn't know that either. These were so clicks. It looks like their vodka bottle that you would see in the club, or as they say, in the club. Um, it's just so nice. It looks like a, a high end yeah. cognac bottle, uh, but it's got vodka in it. Now the rain. Vodka, seven times distilled vodka. Wheatley rain. I'd had that before. Uh, the bottle caught my attention more than anything else. I've grabbed it, drank it. It's been okay. Um, the cucumber version. They've got multiple versions, so it's. I think they've got a cucumber version um, yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, Platinum was my rot gut vodka of choice. <laughs> so you could go and buy a fifth of Platinum for like thirteen dollars. It wasn't as bad as um, platinum looks like a Bud Light. Yeah, comes in product. a plastic bottle. Like a, uh, it looks like a Listerine yeah. bottle. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Bud Light came out with a Bud Light Platinum, and that's yeah, exactly what the like label looks like. Yep. And then of course they've got the Wheatley uh, <laughs> bottle of vodka here, craft distilled. So Harlan also probably the same name. juice or similar juice. Um, just bottled a little bit differently. Um, it also says made under personal supervision as opposed to impersonal supervision. I'd hope he's personally supervising most of this. <laughs> um, W.L. Weller. So we talked about the fact that they've got uh, William, William LaRue Weller in the antique collection, but there's also three other um Weller brands, if you will. There's the traditional W.L. Weller. Um, there is a special reserve W.L. Weller, which comes in, I think, at 80 proof or something along those lines. And then there's um, the RoboCop. The uh, Peter Weller. Special reserve comes in around 40%, 42%, something like that. I don't know any of the other Wellers. 45 uh, <laughs> The original Weller is a 12-year-old whiskey. Very difficult to get a hold of. Very, very difficult to get a hold of. Um, these others release monthly or every two weeks, just some of the larger liquor stores. This one, it's it's very rare that you actually get a bottle of it. I remember, then, I remember Weller as the one, uh, Brittany going to a liquor store and saying, do you guys have Weller? <laughs> no. Yeah. We don't. Just the look, right? And Chris just going like, wife's got expensive taste. Uh, no, well, that's the thing with Weller. Weller is a very inexpensive bourbon. It's thirty bucks, twenty eight dollars. You just can't find it because. And we'll talk a little bit more about how. So once we get done with this list, I'll talk a little bit about what's going on here. But um, there's also the antique one hundred and seven. So it's one hundred and seven proof. Um, it is my favorite out of all the Wellers. Um, the really twelve good. year is great and all, but the antique I think is where some of the cooler flavors come. Um, and then W.O. Weller, they came out with this, Create Your Perfect Bourbon. 
So there was a perfect yourperfectbourbon.com website, and you could basically choose the recipe, the proof, the warehouse location and age, and thousands of people came in and selected what they wanted in a bourbon, and they basically chose... They all chose the same thing. I'm not convinced that they chose this. I'm convinced that they had barrels that they needed to get rid of and wanted and didn't fit into any of the categories. And they said, "Hey, let's make this into a marketing ploy." That's just my thought on it. But they had a kiosk set up in the visitor center where you you could do that on this thing. Had a big touch screen. You go through the process. And all the times it went there while that thing was up, it was never operating. It would never go past the first two screens. It was always screwed up. So so I'm like, no, no one actually did this. So they said that for over two years, about 100,000 bourbon drinkers voted. And they got, in the end, it averaged out to be a weeded recipe with the aging in the highest warehouse floors for eight years and bottled at 95 proof. And that's where you get this Create Your Perfect Bourbon, a white label of Weller. So you can find it. Go for it, but the I think it came out with a little bit higher price tag. Um, but right now it's absolutely outrageously priced. It was after, uh, after our last episode, Casey. I've come up with the name of this white labeled beer. I mean, this white labeled bourbon. Uh huh. The white bourbon dale. <laughs> <laughs> when it was released, it was about thirty-eight bucks a bottle. On secondary, right now, it's going for three hundred to nine hundred a bottle because mm. it was a one-time release, and that was yeah. it. Uh, the other reason that I say that this was just something that they wanted to pick out was because the voting happened, and then it was two and a half, three years later that they announced this bourbon and rolled it out. But it was a bourbon that was aged for eight years. Yeah. The math doesn't add up. I mean, maybe they were just like, oh, this happened to match all of the other criteria for something we were already doing. How convenient. I guess. So not only does Buffalo Trace have these brands that they produce in-house and they they own, and it's kind of underneath this one um, one group, they also produce products in partnership with Age International, which is former owner of the distillery, now part of the Takara Holdings Company. So they produce Ancient Age, straight bourbon, uh, whiskey, that actually is one of my favorites. They, I think they come in with an Ancient Age 100 or a Ancient Age 10. That's what it is. Uh, 45% alcohol by volume, but it's a 10-year-old bourbon. I actually think that that is one of the better bourbons out there that nobody talks about. Mm. Um, they make a Hancock's President Reserve. I've never had it, never seen it. Um, I don't know where it goes or where it comes from. Um, Why they right. don't have a Taylor's President Reserve? <laughs> yeah, right. It's a good question. Um, Rock Hill Bourbon. Uh, it is a little bit. So Rock Hill has been one of these things that I, I didn't have on my radar until maybe two years ago, and it's really kind of taken off. It's one of those things that you're going to find behind the shelf uh, or behind the, the, the actual um, the counter if they have yeah. it at all. So it, it comes from what they call mash bill number two, uh, the same mash bills that Elmer T. Lee and Bland's comes from. And the glass bottles that it comes in it, are beautiful. 
absolutely gorgeous. And people pay good money for just the bottles by themselves because they're just that pretty. They could be used as a decanter. I think some of the listeners mm-hmm. or one of the listeners of the show um, actually uses it as a decanter because it's a beautiful bottle. Now, I mean, yeah. You've got um, two bourbons that are very special out there uh, for most of the, the bourbon drinkers. First one is Elmer T. Lee taking the uh, namesake of the master distiller, uh, Elmer T. Lee. Um, <laughs> it is pretty highly rated, um, and so they, they come out with a, um, a, a batch of that. I can't remember if that is a yearly or if they kind of go go around the clock. I think they alternate years between it and uh, the Elmer J. Fudd. <laughs> um, now the the last one here that they produce is, with its in partnership is um, Blanton's. So Blanton's is a very popular um, liquor, not only in the U.S. but they've got international sales that are very popular. Um, they've got some single barrels out there. Uh, it is in the bottle shaped like what I call the holy hand grenade. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly what it looks like. And um, it is it is a very good bourbon. Comes in around fifty bucks a bottle, but it's probably more sought after than what people really should, in my opinion. I think it's a little over overvalued. Um, it's a good bourbon, but it's not as good as it could be. Um, they have better or, offerings. As good as what people really trade around for it. They have better offerings. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What it comes down to. Now, if you talk about what people trade in bourbon, you've got the Pappy Van Winkle saga. Pappy. So, Pappy, My Pappy, one of the most renowned bourbons, uh, never, pro- although never before produced on the, those distillery grounds, um, but it was made at Bo- it's made at Bolo Trace. Now, so in 1893, when he was 18 years old, as the story goes, Julian Pappy Van Winkle Sr. began working as a salesman for the liquor wholesaler W.L. Weller and Sons. Wow, he was later. He was Pappy at 18 years old. (laughs) Yeah, go figure. Fifteen years later, he and another Weller salesman bought the firm, and in 1910, they acquired the A.P.H. Stitzel Distillery in Louisville, Kentucky. So this distillery is where they made a lot of the Stitzel Weller products or the, um, uh, the all the products that basically were the weeded bourbons. Those really kind of – I don't want to say got the start. That's not really true. But they really kind of came to their own right there. So the Stitzel distillery supplied much of the whiskey sold by the Weller wholesaler. The consolidation coincided with prohibition during which time the Stitzel Weller firm was licensed by the government to produce whiskey for medicinal purposes. One of their labels was introduced on the market just before Prohibition. It was called Old Rip Van Winkle. After Prohibition, the brand was not reinduced until after 1972 when Stitzel Weller Distillery and its current brand names, including W.L. Weller, Old Fitzgerald, Rebel Yell, and Cabin Still, were sold to other companies. The only brands. It's it's appropriate that they didn't use it for that amount of time. I mean, it had fallen asleep (laughs) to be to awaken decades later. Um, now, the uh, only brand name that the Van Winkle family had kept the rights to was the pre-prohibition brand Old Rip Van Winkle. The Stitzel Weller Distillery was opened on the day of the Kentucky Derby in 1935, just outside of Louisville in Shively, Kentucky. 
At the time of his death in 1965, at the age of 89, Pappy Van Winkle was the oldest active distiller in the nation. Active legal distiller in the nation. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> little caveat there. Popcorn uh, Sutton would have had something to say about that. Yeah. Uh, now, a, now a photo of him um, lighting a cigar graces the bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. Sometime after the Stitzel Weller distillery was sold in 1972, Julian Van Winkle Jr. resurrected the pre-prohibition Old Van Winkle brand and initially used old whiskey stocks from the distillery for its bottlings. So he just pulled out some old whiskey that was back then. Julian died in 1981, and Julian Van Winkle III, Pappy's grandson, took over the old Rip Van Winkle Distillery Company. So just the company, not the distillery. Uh, I mean, uh, make that distinction. There was a company there that, that doesn't necessarily have to go along with the distillery. Yes. Right. So after the initial sell in 1972, the Stiltowello Distillery was eventually closed completely in 1991. Since 2002, the Van Winkle brands have been bottled and distilled by the Sazerac Company at the Buffalo Trace Distillery as a joint venture with the old Rip Van Winkle Distillery Company. 2013, Julian Preston Van Winkle III said the 2013 bottles of the 23 brand expression may be the last of its kind since, since at that point there was very little left of the aging stock from Stitzel Weller's Distillery. Although he said the brand would not be discontinued. I have to take my hat off for that. Get you 2013 bottles of uh, Pappy. Drive it up. Uh, the Pappy craze didn't start until 1996 after the Beverage Tasting Institute rated the 20-year-old Pappy Van Winkle a 99 out of 100, the highest rating for a whiskey ever given by the Institute. So now, have they been rating subsequent things of Pappy and not giving it as high a score? They have. Some okay. of them. I won't, well, I don't know about the Institute, but other, other people have. So in the Pappy Van Winkle line, you have six whiskeys. Um, you've got the old Rip Van Winkle, the easiest to get. Uh, it is not easy to get. It's just the easiest. We had, um, we had some last year. We did. We had a pour of this at a bar while we were waiting on a concert. Yes. And you all thought I was drunk. You were No, hammered. we thought you were drunk a little bit later. Well, <laughs> you, were, you were getting there. You were when getting there. there when you came back down you from the You were getting bar. there when you said, let's get some Rip Van Winkle. And I went, I should say no, but I really want this. Well, it wasn't that expensive, though. It Because we shared a pour, and it was like 14 or 15 bucks for a pour. So I would think it was well worth that to, yeah, to share two yeah, ounces no. or something. So it was worth it. Um, now, the old Rip Van Winkle, 10-year-old, I think it's a pretty decent whiskey. But, it, you know, it's uh, one of those that's going to be very hard to find. Uh, you also have what they call Lot B, which is the special reserve. It's a 12-year. Um, the label's very plain-looking, has just basic text on it. Uh, doesn't look like any of the other Van Winkle stuff out there. Um, it's medium-proof at 90.4, and it's kind of just a, a good drinking whiskey. Casey, uh, I, have, I have a distilling idea. Yes? We're going to open up a distilling company. Okay. We're going to call it Henry Van Winkler. Oh, Henry Winkler. Everyone, it, the, the labels hey. are just going to be different Henry Winkler roles. I like it. Let's work on this. Then you've got the Van Winkle Family Reserve Rye, a 13-year-old rye whiskey. Um, it is definitely a delicious whiskey. It's one of my favorites, 95.6 ABV. Or, sorry, 95.6 proof, not, not ABV. Um, I was going to say, like, ooh. Oh, when I'm getting you, heartburn just hearing that. You start moving out of the rye into the traditional Pappy Van Winkles that have actual Pappy on the label itself. Um, the same photo, him smoking the cigar, but you've got a 15-year-old family reserve 
a 20-year-old family reserve, and the 23-year-old family reserve. Um, the 23-year-old, very difficult to find. Uh, usually whenever a... These bottles are shipped in three-bottle cases. So whenever a distillery... I mean, whenever a retailer gets these, they'll usually get one or two bottles of the 23, if they get it at all. So when um, I think of Pappy Van Winkle, I think of the first time I ever heard of it. Care to guess when I the first time I'd heard of, of this particular? No clue. It was in the TV show Justified. Uh, it was set in Kentucky and the, in the, poorest the part head marshal for Magic Kentucky. Yeah, magic. Um, but they like the guy's like, oh yeah, I have this bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. And looking back now, I'm like, how much money did they pay to put that in there? Because he said it by name and then pulls out the bottle. I mean, mm. at that time, it was still it was just ubiquitous. With I'm getting, I'm going to pour you this rare bourbon. Yeah, like he made a big deal about how how this is a big, you know, special gift, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, they paid some good money for that <laughs> product placement. The Pope got it. Yeah, Pope did get it. <laughs> that was last year, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So uh, on. Happy on Rip Van Winkle's website. It actually has a how to find our whiskey. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> you literally it, have it, to it, win the lottery. Like the, these bottles go in lotteries. My local liquor store got it, and their lottery involved you had to spend a hundred dollars to get an entry into their lottery. So you had to buy a hundred dollars worth of product, and you got one entry for every hundred dollars you spent. And then once they pulled your name out of the hat, you still had to pay over retail, like 20% over what normal retail is for the bottles. <laughs> so like a standard Pappy Van Winkle, you know, you're going to pay the, for the high end stuff. You're going to pay 200 bucks to a little over 200 bucks for it. For the low end, you'd be like 80 bucks, 90 bucks. They're wanting 130 for a bottle of the, like 10 year I'm thinking there's no way I'm paying that. Yeah. Um, not only the, that, but you also have to, to win the lottery. And spend a hundred dollars to even get in. Win the lottery for the chance to overpay for it. You know that violates those gambling laws. That that's why you have to ha- say no purchase necessary mm. because of gambling laws. Oh, no there may be necessary. there may be something weird, but yeah, we need to look into that. Maybe I'll get a bottle of Pappy out of it. See, most of the anyway, most of them that you I just look shut at, up. Most of them around here are um, per entry. You have to donate a hundred dollars to a charity. So they'll like for each year the charity might rotate, but they have for each donation of a hundred dollars to this charity, you get a ticket. I ain't donating anything uh, <laughs> for a Pappy Van Winkle because if you donate, do you get the? I mean, can you do you still have to pay for the whiskey at the yeah, end? Yeah, you still got to pay for yeah. it at the end. Yeah. It's just a hundred dollars. No way. No Screw way. Those sick kids. It's so you do the math. If there's a hundred people lining up in line, you're paying a hundred dollars for the chance. That's like you paying what ten thousand dollars? Is my math right on that one? Yeah, ten thousand dollars. I could go and buy a bottle of this stuff secondary for nine hundred to twelve hundred. So save the hundred on the chance and go and just buy it. Oh, well, <laughs> so we were talking a little bit, Bob and I, he was having a hard time finding some um, anything from from Buffalo Trace on except the store shelf. Except the bourbon cream 
That's the only thing I could find. Yep. So what what we were talking about a little bit beforehand was the fact that you could have went with vodka, maybe. I'm sure there's plenty of vodka. I didn't actually go down the vodka aisle. That was the only <laughs> one I didn't. Um, good thing you did, because you did eventually find a, a small bottle. Um, but the thing was, Pappy Van Winkle started this. And so back whenever this Pappy buzz started happening, everybody's like, oh my goodness, Pappy Van Winkle is the best stuff ever. And then the buzz of Pappy started to build, and Pappy you couldn't find. So people started saying, okay, you can't find Pappy, then let me find something else from them that's just as good. And so Let's find Rip. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, you're actually, yeah, old Rip Van Winkle and, and go to a 10-year. Um, so they started going down through. And so it started off with the Pappy high-end 15s and ups. Then First it went to... And then, then it went to Rip Van Winkle. Then it went to the Rip Van, or the Van Winkle Rye, and then it started stepping down into the E. H. Taylors. Um, it went to the Eagle Rare. It went to Stag Junior. and George T. Stag. And it went to Oh Weller, uh, of course. Um, hard to find one there now. More recently, um, then it eventually went down to even the Sazerac Rise, uh, mm-hmm. the Base Rise. And traditional Buffalo Trace, you can barely find it on store shelves now. And sometimes it's even held back. It's on on limits whenever the store orders it. And it's a fine bourbon. It's not worth putting on hold for. No. No. And and that's the – you're on what they – I can't remember the name. You're on basically um, allocations. And so they give you – you order a case and they give you, okay, you can have half of a case this week. Um, they give you what you're allowed to have. You're rationed it out. Exactly. And it's it's ridiculous because Buffalo Trace Basic is really actually a pretty good bourbon. It's a good sipping bourbon. Yeah. There's other bourbons that are better than it. Um, maybe not at that, pr- not, really at that price, price range. There's equal. Yeah, equal at that bourbons. price, it's it's really good for what it is. But, but it's not worth going crazy over and, and buying everything off the shelves. Oh, I mean, it, it, one bottle's fine. If you're stocking up on Buffalo Trace base, unless it's the only bourbon you drink and you're actually drinking it, that's a ridiculous notion. It's Unless you're trying to resell it and make some money and then I hate you. Everything, <laughs> everything on here, every one of these that Casey went through, there are only two that you can guaranteed find on shelves. Benchmark and Ancient Age. Everything Didn't else just usually blows off. Like the, as soon when it hits the shelf, it is gone. Where uh, Justin goes to shop, usually, well, I'm there occasionally. I can walk in and find Eagle Rare on the shelf. Up here, you cannot. It is that's one of those things. It's like when they get a case in, it's usually behind the counter, and it has to be uh, you knew the, the truck came in to get a bottle of the Eagle Rare. And that's just a few years ago. That was like it, there would be piles of it on the shelves right next to Blanton's, yeah. and like this, this is extremely new that this is happening, especially to us in Kentucky, when this stuff is right. just flying off the shelf, and it used to be just a mainstay. Right, and now I'm thinking, I was like, man, I'm going to drive to Buffalo Trace just to buy their bourbon. Oh no, you can't oh, buy it. You can't oh, really right, buy you any can't. there. Yeah, you right. can't get so uh, heads up on that if you think. I'm going to go down to Buffalo Trace for a tour and I can get all these, you know, I can get a bottle of Weller or something like that there. No, you can't. All you're going to be able to score is a regular Buffalo Trace. I oh, have okay. on occasion seen uh, some E.H. Taylor. 
Oh yeah, no. All I was talking about was buying just the regular Buffalo Trace. Yeah. That's your standard Buffalo. You can get standard Buffalo. You can get the white dog. You can get the uh, cream and you can get sometimes vodka. Yeah. Oh, the vodka. They have piles of it. But when you're not getting any of these rare, hard to find ones, they do not sell them there. Well, speaking of bourbons you can find, let's talk about what we managed to find for today's episode. Drink with me, friend. All right. It looks like me and Brittany are doing the same drink. Yeah. So it was bound to happen. Because we only have two of theirs, uh, which, you know, he's drinking the one. And I was like, well, I'll, I'm going to drink something different, you know. And then you, <laughs> that's the only thing you could find. So, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I thought I'd just leave you to talk about it because, yeah, it's just, I know I, well, it's fine. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to. We may ask you your thoughts in a second, but yeah, we're yeah. both bring, drinking just the regular, basic Buffalo Trace bourbon. Yes, mine comes in a tiny bottle because it's literally all I could find. Which is just crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's from Buffalo Trace. It's their bourbon. It's a forty-five percent ABV, and they have on their thing uh, early pioneers set. Settled a spot where the Great Buffalo Trace crossed the Kentucky River in 1775, and plentiful, pure limestone water, rich river bottom, lo- uh, r- river bottom loan for growing exceptional grains. Distillation f- quickly followed. Since then, Buffalo Trace Distillery has earned an unparalleled reputation for creating outstanding whis- bourbon whiskey. Um, I do like it. Uh, it it is like for its price one of the better ones that you're going to find. Uh, it's just a matter of finding it lately. Uh, it it it's got a very nice sweet flavor. Um, I'm picking up like uh, a little bit of vanilla, some brown sugar in there from from kind of the flavor. That's about it. I it's got a little bit of of alcohol burn, which is like a hint of like some other spices. I can't quite pin down, but. I don't know. It's it's for what you know for the amount that you pay to get it. It's it's a pretty good, pretty good. But I don't mean to say that like oh, it's a good bargain whiskey. But it, for the you know for the money you're spending for it, it means the it's blood not a bad price, The blood you must spill. <laughs> and honestly, I yeah, it's it's definitely not my favorite bourbon, but it is a good go-to bourbon in general. Um, yeah, I still agree with the. Uh, that modern rogue video that was like um had uh, like basic basic liquors you need to keep in your cabinet at all times yeah like your your basic bar setup and they had buffalo trace as the whiskey and it's like yeah Yeah. okay that's because you you can sip it you can you can mix it with stuff you know if you want it's not a sin to mix it yeah it's it's yeah you won't feel bad mixing it no as opposed to something else like go ahead i think that that between where you all are it makes it harder to find bourbon than it would to go someplace like Texas and try yeah. to find bourbon. No, I don't Be- doubt that it's easier to find outside of this area. Because yeah. you you are actually – now, when you're going to products like um, Maker's Mark, those are a little bit easier to find inside Kentucky. But right. when somebody goes on the bourbon trail, they come back to Lexington to fly out or Cincinnati to fly out or Louisville. And so places like that – are basically where they buy the bourbon before they go home that they didn't get anywhere else. 
Yeah. Or, hey, I went to this distillery. Let me get some bottles. And they try to go and buy those there. So um, especially for you, Bob, you go, I think, to the one over at um, the kind of the most populated part of town or the most commercialized part of town. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a big shopping area part of the town, yeah. Yeah. So that one right there has a lot of foot traffic. It's also the biggest one of them all. But whenever you go and, and look at them, those are all um, places that people go to try to find bourbons. If you're out somewhere else or even in, in little shops here in East Kentucky, it's kind of easier to find because people around here don't know any better. And they're not, <laughs> they're not out there trying to find super nice bourbons or value bourbons or anything. They're just kind of – that's how we end up getting – you know the the Woodford Reserve Double Oak at less than the traditional Woodford Reserve because they don't know when they're pricing it on the shelves. Mm. Yeah, what it's supposed to be, or like you just happen to stumble on like KBS one day. <laughs> yeah, nobody. I mean, it's just oh, there it is. It's on the shelf. It's right there because nobody like we are in a in a certain market where. Everybody drinks. They don't tell you they drink. Everybody drinks. Yeah. It's just they're drinking rock gut or bush light. And so it's nice to have those those additional some of that beast, uh, the Milwaukee beast. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a good made point, Milwaukee though. famous. It made a fool out of me. But it's it's a good point. And also, I need to go apparently back home to get uh, Woodford Double Oak. Good city. I mean, like the cost. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I gave it out as Christmas presents. It was uh, twenty eight dollars a bottle. They had it mispriced at that point. Oh, it was twenty eight bucks a bottle for uh, that's, with, uh, with so that's still my go to. Like, if I'm going to compare Buffalo Trace and that, I'm going to go with Woodford Double Oaked every time. But <laughs> Buffalo Trace is still a great bourbon. Just put it. On we there. still have the uh, original bottling of the Double Oaked. Yeah, when it was the tall bottles. Yeah, when it was just in the regular Woodford Reserve bottle before they put they it changed in. it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, um, I classing it up a bit. No, no. This is actually uh, what I got. Uh, I bought for cheaper than you can get a bottle of Buffalo Trace. I'm drinking the W. L. Weller Special Reserve. Mm. Actually, got my bottle for like twenty two bucks. Nice. Uh, but that was at really? the yeah. That was at the Bourbon Harvest uh, down at Party Source when they had every one of these that day. Every bourbon we've said today. They had, uh, but it was the the way the event was set up. There was no way to know what you got, so they just laid out bottles. So it would be um, an entire table, and it would have every bottle. Like when I walked up, you couldn't see. There was a sheet over it. You could just tell which one had the uh, E. H. Taylors because if you've ever seen the E. H. Taylor bottles, they are just so effing tall. They don't fit in any liquor cabinet. I don't care what you're. They liquor, they're just so tall. It's ridiculous. But there was a sheet over the tables, and you could everyone just knew the one. Like, well, there's where some of the tailors are because just these giant spikes pointing up out of the under the sheet. And I went by one, and I could see the little green label for Weller from just kind of barely sticking out the side of the sheet. And I was like, well, I know Weller's under this one, so I'll get this one. But they had them all over the store, and this is one of the biggest liquor stores in the country, and like just everywhere. And they called it the Bourbon Harvest, and they waited until the the countdown and there were lines of people at each table and no one really knowing what they're in line for and they ripped the sheet off and said and just there was like you're allowed one of everything on the table and then it, people then it was just pandemonium but they kept doing that every two hours they would reload the tables with rare bourbons and sheet it and then rip the sheet off again and they just kept doing that all day but i got my one bottle and pieced the hell out i wasn't going to keep around for all that 
I thought it was a good enough score for me. But uh, W.L. Weller, Special Reserve, the original wheat of bourbon whiskey features an exceptionally smooth taste. Uh, substituting wheat for rye grain, bottled at 90 proof, this bourbon stands out with its uh, burnt orange color. Its softer flavor notes make this bourbon great for sipping or making cocktails. Originally, I'm sure years ago, that would have been great for making cocktails with this. Now you It's too hard to find. Yeah, too hard to find, so you wouldn't do it. Uh, the uh, I think all of Buffalo Trace has this thing where they take... They've got their high-end bourbons, and they make a special reserve version of them that they water down just a little bit more. Uh, what's the what's the ABV on that one? ABV on the special reserve is forty-five. Yeah, so they water it down just a little bit more um, to get a little bit further out of it. But then at that point, they allow they then like mention you can make mixed drinks out of it or those types of things. That's the only thing they add a little bit more. Um, and the only reason I say that, and because I just kind of stumbled upon this, the I'm having Blantons, and so I was looking at the Blanton site, and their traditional Blantons is 46.5% ABV, but they make a Blanton Special Reserve, which comes just in at 40% 40. ABV, oh. and everything else on there is saying, oh, the great sipping, have it neat, have it with all this, and then on the, the Blanton Special Reserve, they said, have it neat or in an upscale cocktail. So on the Special Reserves, I think those are the upscale cocktail versions or neat that they i think they don't want you to feel bad for mixing it if you ever want to mix <laughs> it with anything use my product please here this one's even better for mixing um but it, it's i'm not by any means saying that any of these products should be mixed i think they're all excellent neat um yeah even buffalo trace standard is excellent neat been been drinking it neat all night if you i'm at the you, point now that if it's a bourbon i like I don't want to put anything in there. Yeah. If you're going to mix something, make it a, a hundred proof something out there and make your drink really kick. Yeah. Um, Taste it. Way, Taste what you mixed in there. Yeah. Get you a hundred proof of, uh, of something that's made by, I don't know. Uh, um, help me out here. I don't know. White label. Put the, oh the oh oh uh, heaven uh, the heaven hill the heaven Williams yeah any of the heaven hill stuff that's that's hundred proof you're good to go man yeah. I can never not find that that yeah, stuff you, rains from the heavens but when you mix it in a drink you're gonna taste it yeah, yeah. these uh, so tasting notes on the special reserve uh, sweet nose with a presence of caramel tasting notes of honey butterscotch and a soft woodiness uh that is to a t usually i read these tasting notes and i'm like i don't know what crack they're smoking <laughs> but this is like that is it to a t the butterscotch is almost yeah. overwhelming and it is like the wood character is just so soft and smooth that's the next thing they say is it's smooth delicate and calm features a smooth finish with a sweet honeysuckle flair this bourbon is it's not the bourbon bourbon drinkers bourbon like this is if you really you're trying to win some people into bourbon and uh, pour them a little of this uh, and it, it's very very easy to fall in love with this uh, i pulled in a 2018 silver medal at the new york international spirits competition and a gold medal at the 2018 uh, Los Angeles International Spirits Competition. One nice. of my favorite bourbons. Um, oh, Casey, what are you drinking? Uh, Blantons. I'm having Blantons. Um, oh, I do want to say, Chris, you with that butterscotch, that was exactly what I think Brittany said whenever she tasted it for the first time. It was butterscotch 
Yeah, she's she's addicted to the antique though. That's oh, what, the antique is addicted to one hundred and seven. Is what she wants. That's what she sent me on a quest to find, and I was like, I'm not going to find it. And sure enough, I never found it. <laughs> um. So on the Blantons, uh, ninety three proof or forty six point five ABV comes in the holy hand grenade with the the horses on the top. I always thought that was the coolest little little piece. You they get your they don't awesome sell those bottle. anymore. So Blantons used to be so available that you could buy barrel staves at the distillery with uh, little ground out uh, bits, so you could collect it because there's actually like uh, is it five or seven different eight eight, eight different little I think there's eight eight different toppers, and so you could try and collect them all, and then you had something to display them in. Well, they don't even sell that anymore. Because Blanton's is not that available anymore. <laughs> You're not finding all the bottles. You will yeah, not find all those the, little toppers. Yeah, the toppers have the horses that are all the stages of a horse race. And so at there's there's I think there's eight different ones of them. And as you look at them, it starts off with just the horse in in uh, like basically trotting and then starting into a run and then really getting into it and then basically winning at the end. I think the jockey's got his hands up. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is a, I think it's a very, very good whiskey. Um, it's definitely a good whiskey that has a lot of nuance to, uh, I want to say new, I say, a lot of high-end nuance. It's got like a, a lot of top-end notes at the front of it. Um, the finish is longer, but it's not complex. So it's just a good sipping whiskey, I think. Um, now, I it, it says in the tasting notes, citrus and oak. I actually don't get citrus, um, and it may just be because this one's been sitting out for a little bit and it's oxidized some. Uh, and it does change over about an hour. The, the glass will change. Um, I'm getting the regular Buffalo Trace will do that too. The just leaving it out after a while. I'm I'm getting whole different, oh, whole yeah. different flavors. Completely, and, and your palate adjusts to it and everything. Um, so I'm getting, um, whenever I smell it, I'm getting a lot of honey, and so like uh, like a clover honey or a, a pretty not a buckwheat like a really intense honey, just a nice um, like the bear in Walmart type honey oh <laughs> like just a like, real like, traditional honey yeah sorry i wasn't sure what you meant by bear in that minute i want a bear and brown sugar i'm getting a lot of brown sugar on that why does uh, it taste so good <laughs> i don't know it does though um but it, i mean it's just a really good good straight bourbon this one is from of course all of them come from warehouse h um, all this style comes from the middle of Warehouse H. That's uh, the haunted yeah. warehouse. Yeah, well, we didn't b- bring it up uh, in the section, but that was Blanton loved to entertain at his home he had built there. And he had a special area in Warehouse H where he would pull personal barrels from to pour for guests. Uh, um, this was from Rick, number one. I love how they put that information on there. Um Bottled again, ninety-three proof. It was barrel number eleven fifty-four. If anybody else out there has it, uh, and it is bottle number one forty-nine. But it was dumped on eight seven seventeen. All that information's handwritten in. I love that about the blends. I think it, it just adds such a touch. Even though it, it's like five seconds worth of work, I think it adds such a touch to the their, their bottlings. I love that. Yeah. 
I wish every bottle of every bourbon would give me that sort of information. Even if it was a blended bourbon, I would want to know, okay, this is a blend of 14 barrels, um, that sort of stuff. Right. Well, I think that just about does it for Buffalo Trace, guys. It's only the beginning. (laughs) Well, for drinking. With a lineage like that. You can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. Don't forget, you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You also use the feedback page on the website. Website is also where you find our merch store. Yes, uh, all joking and fun aside, guys, I'd like to remind everyone, as always, to please drink responsibly. Yes, Mm -hmm. and you can check out our next live episode, once again, next Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Once again, I'm Brittany D. Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>